with the last investor left standing. Please turn out the lights. Wait, what? Back it up here a minute. If you're investing in Southern Ontario or in the Ontario market, you might be heading for the hills and you might be running for another market. But in this upcoming episode, we're going to take a different take on the Ontario marketplace. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here, so hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. I'm just on fire. Extra cup of coffee, little, uh, you know, bulletproof coffee, little butt, little grass-fed butt in the coffee. Mm, hang on a sec here. Mmm, that's a, that's a fine quality product. <laughs> All right, gang, so hope you're having yourself a wonderful day, and I uh, hope I got your attention in the opening tease to today's episode. Now, I know right now everybody's piling on, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's some fear in the marketplace, and people are, you know, running for the hills, and everybody's running down to Florida, or everybody's running to Alberta. Um, everybody's leaving the Ontario marketplace. Um, in today's episode, I have a guest here for you that is an expert in Ontario and they he has a wonderful take on the Ontario marketplace and he has a couple wonderful opportunities that he's going through right now and and to be honest he's uh he's you know I don't know if we use the analogy but I might use the analogy as you know the Department of Natural Resources have just come along just recently in the Ontario southern Ontario marketplace and has dumped a whole bunch more fish into the pond to go fishing so as he said the fishing is real good right now so I'm going to introduce you to one of my clients here. This is Mike Beer, and Mike is a multifamily expert in the Ontario marketplace. He's kind of what uh, he would call, and we talk about this, is kind of that sweet spot multifamily investor. You know, larger than, you know, say five or seven units and smaller than, you know, 24s and 36s type of thing. Where, so he's, he's in that spot where he, he doesn't have a lot of competition, right? And he's not dealing with uh, big giant REITs and, and large funds. And he's also not dealing with, you know, the mom and pop um, people that are just buying their, you know, investment properties as single family um, residentials and single residents or single dwelling residential properties. Man, sometimes it can <laughs> get so confused on all the different terminologies. And I always have to be very mindful when I talk across the country. And sometimes I'm talking to somebody in Ontario and you call something, you call a duplex out your way or a semi in that. And then when I'm talking to someone in Western Canada, you know, we call those like houses with suites or side-by-side -side. duplexes is a completely different term. So, Lots of different terminology, and uh, the key thing that we're going to talk about here in this episode is we're going to talk about um, multifamily apartment buildings. How do you buy them? Where do you find them? What's the opportunity? And Mike shares a lot of nitty-gritty details and the ins and outs of, of this, and, and really where the true opportunities lie. In this case, he shares a case study here about a property that he's buying that within a three-year time frame, he can legitimately double the income, double the double the rents, not maybe double the full, you know, the net, but double the gross incomes on it because he's bought a property that has, uh, in his opinion, is significantly under-rented. I think in numbers he shared was anywhere between, say, $800 to $1,100, and then rent should be anywhere between like $1,800 to $2,200. 
And that's where the huge opportunity is. So he shared where he gets the capital from. He shared where he finds these places. He shares the the plan, the renovation plan. He shares a lot of those details with you. So a detail, uh, a very uh, informative conversation. And also he shared a, a wonderful story at the beginning of how he landed, he and his family landed in Canada from Poland, from communist Poland. Well, you know, not really two nickels to really rub together and how they just kind of, uh, two nickel, not, not two nickels, and not even a lick of English at the same time and how he's managed to really just make a go of all this. Wonderful investor, wonderful person, uh, Mr. Mike Beer. Now, just as an FYI, I'm recording this and it will be released um, after, uh, sorry, let me just really check my calendar here. I've got my notes over here. I'm actually, when this will be coming out, I will actually be in Ontario. Um, I'm spending a week out there. Um, I'm coming out for Erwin Zito's wonderful um, event that's upcoming, the Wealth Hacker event. So I'm recording this before the event and I'm sure it'll be wonderful. And it'll be wonderful to see everybody. And I literally have an entire week lined up um, connecting with um, some wonderful influencers, people I haven't seen for, for, for years. Like, it was funny. I was just chatting with my lovely wife the other day. There's probably for 25 years, I would bet at least 25 years. Yeah, probably that'd be safe to say for 25 years, I probably every month for 25 years probably traveled somewhere like on an airplane, at least once, twice, in some cases, three and four times, like multiple airplane trips per month for 25 years. I haven't been on an airplane since November of 2019. So it's coming on, it'd be three years. Wow, that's that's crazy to think about. So I'm actually looking forward to getting out on the road. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I would much rather be at home and snuggle with my dog by the fireplace. And and uh, I would love to, you know, sit here in the studio and record and, you know, connect via Zoom. But you do have to get out and see the people. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. The really big thing I'm looking forward to is getting out and working with my clients. I've got a lot of site visits planned while I'm out in Eastern Canada, hitting out to, on the road, seeing some projects of some things that I'm, some of my coaching clients that are working on, members of the Raising Capital Academy, and just getting out on site, walking through some projects and just, you know, just getting uh, and helping one-on-one in person again. Now, just as an FYI, um, um, just been really busy within the community of the community that I've been training within the Raising Capital Academy. We've been talking an awful lot about uh, helping people build out their social media presence. Like what are the do's and don'ts and some examples. And especially if you're, you know, hot button right now or hot take out there in the marketplace is raising capital. How do you, what are the do's and don'ts and how do you protect yourself and what's the best way to go about doing it? So 100% uh, dove a lot into that. Then we talked a lot about content, content repurposing. I shared a case study on how do you take one piece of content and repurpose it into like 6,000 views over uh, nine different pieces of content. And then we're diving into websites and CRMs and landing pages and funnels. And we're doing all that kind of core training as well. So all those materials are available for members of the Raising Capital Academy. And now if you're interested, I'm going to be opening up the Raising Capital Academy again very, very shortly for a little special, probably over 
the Cyber Monday, Black Friday timeframe. And if you are interested in getting involved and maybe you missed out on the, the last opportunity, you can uh, get involved once again. This probably this will be the last time I open it up for this year. And then next year, I'm going to you know make even more changes to it, break it apart into different modules and all kind of fun stuff like that. So if you are interested in maybe you missed out the first time it came down and then you're interested in getting involved in the live masterminds, the online masterminds, plus all the brand new contents coming out. If you're interested in that, there will be a link in the show notes where you can go to uh, check out the page and there will be some more information on that. Okay, gang, with all that being said, let's just get right to the interview. Let's please help me welcome Mr. Mike Beer. Hey, Mike Beer, how are you today, my friend? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Russell. I'm I'm actually really excited to be on your show, uh, and then yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Well, I, I hear you. You got a nice looking background back there, and you got everything going. You had a nice collared shirt going on. This is a, you know you're taking this professionally. You're you're a prof- you're a professional, my friend. Yeah, I got the logo in the back, so I I, I do something like this. Oh, this is Mike Beer from Mike Beer Investments. Uh, you know, one yeah, question. Already. I got a lot of questions I want to ask you. And, uh, you know, we've been spending together, you know, through coaching and you've been a member of the Raising Capital Academy for a while. And and I, I just, I'm, I'm blown away by the depth that you have um, all the time. And, and you shared something in one of our recent conversations about a little bit about your backstory that I really want to dive into. But uh, simple first question, beer, B-E-E. B E E R is that your is that the real last name or is it short from some for something? It is my real last name, and uh, you know I I grew up in Poland, so kids around me because you know nobody spoke English at the time. They actually didn't know it. Beer meant beer. They just thought it just four letters put together that are very unusual for for that country, right? Yeah. So I have a feeling there's a story to tell about growing up in Poland on, on that. And uh, you don't mind for people that have not, um, are not familiar with you and who you are. And, you know, guys pay attention to Mike. He's, you know, it's one of those ones you've been doing it for like 10 years and, you know, you're just starting to really take it the next step and you're going to be an overnight success one of these decades, right? <laughs> <laughs> But if you don't mind, no, there, there is a question there. And the question is, uh, do you mind just taking us through a little bit about your backstory, where you grew up, where you came from, and then what led you up to this wonderful world of real estate investing? So so the story is, uh, I was born in Poland. And uh, at the time when uh, we were kids, uh, the, the country was communist. So so essentially, they wouldn't let anybody really out of out of the country. So uh, my, my father used to work on a cargo ship and then I guess he, he behaves himself uh, where they went, you know, around the world and he, he never ran off the ship or anything like that. So, so then when we were about, I was about eight uh, or so, uh, my parents said, you know what, we got, we, we want to leave the country to provide opportunities for, for you and your sister, right? They, they didn't actually tell me this. This is what they're they were thinking and then they kept applying to leave and then passports and such and and it's not as simple as as getting a passport right um they kept getting denied and denied and then i remember actually my mom going into the passport office and handing the lady a kilogram or two kilograms of coffee from like german coffee or something like that 
where these products weren't available at all. So it, is, it was very rare to have products that are not made in Poland at the time. So it was a very big deal. And then she just grabbed it and then put it in her bag. And then, uh, you know what? All of a sudden, our passports came, right? Because of a simple thing like that. Well, I would imagine that could have been, I was I was going, okay, now we're having a little, really a dubious thing of the bag of coffee. Right? <laughs> or, or is that, or is that code for something, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was coffee, but, um, but these kind of things were, were, were so rare. So then all, next thing we know, we're on vacation, we're going on vacation, driving in our little mini Fiat and with a tiny little trailer and my sisters and my sisters and my parents are driving and they're telling us, Hey, uh, we're not actually going on vacation. So we're going to Norway. Right. And we're not coming back. So don't say anything at the border, by the way. (laughs) So, so you guys were, I guess is the correct term you were defecting. Is that, is that the correct term or you were? Yes, that was, that was it. So that was it. The family where we're kind of pretending to go on vacation. So, uh, yeah. So when my, my, when I heard this, I was just, you know, I didn't have a huge reaction. I was just so surprised. My sister was crying because she had a boy. She was 16. So she had a boyfriend at home and and obviously she's leaving. Um, but yeah, we made our way to uh, to Norway. I was living there for for a while. Uh, actually, learned to speak Norwegian. We were there for about a year and a half, and then we couldn't stay. They they didn't let us stay, so they said, "You know what? Where do you want to go?" Right? We we applied to Australia and then Canada, and then my parents made the decision to come to Canada just because my dad had a friend from university that was living in Canada. So that's the reason. My whole life, that decision determined my whole life. <laughs> Just because of that one friend that lived in Canada. Yes. Right. Are you, are you, you still no friends? Here. Are they no longer live here? <laughs> no, you moved to the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, well, well that, that's the next place you want to go to, my friend. Oh, question, so when was this? When, when was this that you, you left Poland that you were not heading back? Yeah, so I was 10 years old. So this was uh, late 80s. Oh, you're just still a young guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, not that young, but you know. Yeah. So the late 80s, uh okay, so you went you went to Norway, you stayed there for a while and then you eventually came to Canada. So okay, when you came to Canada, did you you obviously did you know English? Did you have did your dad have a job lined up? Like what was what was it like landing in Canada and where did you land and what was kind of that process? We we landed in Canada with four uh four cardboard boxes. We didn't even have real luggage, just boxes. Um, and then, yeah, it was pretty humbling because we're looking at uh, different apartments. And, and you know, like I remember going in one apart- to one apartment and then we're looking at it and then we just open a door and then just like cockroaches like start running all over the place. <laughs> and my mom started started yelling and then we're not staying here so so thankfully we we found a much better place and then stayed stayed there and it was it was kind of humbling because my my dad was uh you know a, a chief engineer on a cargo ship in Poland and here he had to start out uh, working in a factory and he was delivering pizza for pizza pizza in the evenings yeah, they had to do right? whatever this, it whatever it took right 
Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So what year was that and how old were you when you came to Canada? And where did you, where did you guys, uh, which, which cockroach infested apartment building city did you, did you land in? <laughs> <laughs> so this was in Mississauga. This was in Mississauga in, uh, in uh, 87. Yeah, and there's no yeah. more of those cockroach infested pro- uh, properties in Mississauga now, isn't there? Not, not at all. They're all gone. <laughs> They're all gone. Yes. <laughs> And and okay, I don't invest in Mississauga, so so, <laughs> so 80, maybe there are eighty-seven. How old were you? Uh, I was eleven. Eleven. Okay, so grade, no English zero. Grade, grade five, grade six, grade six, grade six. grade six. Yeah, with not a lick of English, none. Oh wow! Just knew how to say my name is Michael. That's it. <laughs> What was it like? And I know that's a long time ago and quite a ways back. But if you ever, if you do kind of reflect back upon that, what what was it like first coming to Canada that you can, like, what was some of your earliest memories? You know what? We landed and it was hot. It was so humid because it's not as humid as in, in, in Europe. But uh, you know what? It was, uh, it was, I would say... It wasn't um, it wasn't bad, but it's um, it's a very different country, right? Than than what I, we were used to. So so it took us a little bit of time to 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 assimilate to get used to the society and and such. But uh, but you know what? Uh, the Toronto area is so vast, so diverse. It's it's just uh, the community is pretty welcoming. So we moved on pretty quick. Yeah, I would uh, imagine there's a, a large Polish contingent of people that have immigrated from Poland that reside out in the GTA area. I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely, especially in Mississauga. So maybe maybe that was the strategy. Yeah, why we we kind of came here. Okay, so so dad, mom, and dad did mom work when she came over, or was she just looking after you and your sister? You know what, my, my mom was just doing just a more general uh, labor, but then my dad, he's, um, this is one thing I learned, he moved pretty quickly. So then, uh, you know what, he moved on to like a drafting position. So he reinvented himself and he was working in the office at what he does best. And then, uh, and then, yeah, went to um, uh, high school and my dad always said, you know what, no matter what you do, you got to go to university, right? Yep. So that, that discipline, you know, that discipline, and then I never got allowance or anything like that. I started working when I was 11 years old, delivering newspapers, and then later working at Harvey's. So it was always kind of working, working throughout. And then you went to university. What did you, what's your degree in? Oh, it's in, uh, I went to University of Waterloo and it's uh, math and computer science. So, uh, so that was, uh, when you, when you look at universities that party and have people have a great time. This is exactly opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, you actually went and did school. Yeah, I majored in five years of five years of drinking. Right. <laughs> we did a little bit of partying too, but it's uh, it was a it was a tough program. Yeah. Oh man. And yeah. and now yeah. um, you've been in your chosen career since since you graduated. And um, what what. What led you now? Obviously, the reason why we're talking is because you're a real estate investor. Obviously, but what kind of what kind of led you into the the realm of real estate investing? You know what? There was one one particular few different moments, but one was um, so my dad was working for this drafting company, and then after a while, they went on a very first vacation. They came back from from Cuba. I remember he stepped through the door, and then he was let go right then and there. And then they had really no savings. And then 
and no money for the future or, or retirement income or anything like that. So I thought, you know what, this is not the life I want. I want to make sure that me and my family, that I'm always, um, always, I have a backup plan and, and, and something, you know, some a future, basically a financial future. And that was, when did the bug officially bite you, went about? You know what? I think it was uh, maybe 15 years ago or so. Yep. So I started investing pretty slowly uh, back then. But I met a friend that, uh, my wife's friend from university, and he came up to me and said, oh, you know, we're talking. And he said, I have 46 tenants. And I thought, what? 46 tenants? I want to have 46 tenants. How do I do this? <laughs> So, I think I think so that's the first. Was, I, I'm gonna, a realtor. I'm going to bookmark that. I think that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say I want 46 tenants. So hang on a sec here. Dropping oh, yeah, some, absolutely. <laughs> dropping some fire. <laughs> I want 46 tenants. Yeah. So yeah, he was a realtor, and we went to look for a property. Yeah. Um, and he said, "We're not going to buy. We're just going to look at this triplex in Hamilton." Um, and I bought it. I just the, the probably the first property I saw, I bought it. I said, you know what? This is a this can be turned. This is a kind of a fourplex, but really a triplex. I can I can do this, right? Yep. So uh, and when was that? When so, was that first property purchased? You know what? It was probably fifteen years ago. But uh, do you still own at it? At the same, I do. It's been an, it's been problematic, <laughs> and a few years before that, I bought a couple condos. So then. All of a sudden, in a, in a matter of two months, I got two condos and a and a four, kind of a fourplex, and then boom, I was a real estate investor. <laughs> Poof, <laughs> just like that, eh? Hang on a sec. With that, we got to drop a bomb there. Boom! <laughs> I was a real estate investor. So, so, for anybody out there, don't buy a triplex or an illegal fourplex as your first property. I don't recommend it. It's not fun. You know, you can, you lose some sleep, Yeah. right? It's a, uh, and then don't buy the first property you see. Yeah. So, so uh, you're, you're saying everything you did to start, uh, don't do that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I have a level of, um, I, I think I learned a lot from it, but a level of impulsiveness that, um, you know, I, uh, people were telling you as a kid, oh, you're, you're so impulsive. You do 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 stuff, right? And uh, I'll tell you one quick story. Where I'm six years old, my sister's twelve. We're at the swimming pool, like a deep uh, Olympic-sized pool, and um, we're, my sister was trying to get like a card for uh, swimming, right? And use that card to rent like water equipment and then stuff like that. Um, so they had that in Poland, and then. They asked us to jump in from the deep end. Um, I don't know what I was doing there, but my sister said, I'm not jumping. I jumped. And then, you know, all I see is bubbles. And then obviously I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> so then this hand grabs me and then pulls me up. <laughs> and then that was the lifeguard. He started yelling at my mother that I know don't know how to swim. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, impulsiveness plus commitment leads you to do things like that. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I know you said uh, impulsiveness as a bad and make a decision. <clears throat> you know, in some cases, it can actually, it, it shapes who you are. It shapes what you do. You make you make decisions quickly. 
right? You act, you know, you think slow, act fast, right? Would might be a better way of of saying this. Like you, you, you do analyze. You're one of the most detail oriented operators, analyzers of property that I know. But when you have the, when you have the right amount of information, you you jump very quickly on a on a good opportunity, and that's a, a really good combination, to be honest. Uh, you know what? I, I learned to embrace that side of me and then just add a lot of due diligence, but not be, not have the analysis by paralysis yeah. uh, phase me. Just basically, if something is good, it makes sense, boom, go for it. So what I, I guess what I wanted to say to, to people that are listening to this show, there's something weird, something about you that maybe the society frowns on, uh, like a quirk or, or personality trait. Um, I would say try to embrace it and see how that can fit into your career, your real estate investing, because that's could be used as a strength if used appropriately. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I did not know all the, the details of your backstory. And, and I would imagine a lot of that... Um, you know, coming as an immigrant mentality and um, learning a new language and, you know, seeing dad go and do two jobs or whatever it took for, you know, dad to take care of, take care of the family. I imagine a lot of those things really shaped you uh, in your, in your future endeavors. Oh, absolutely. I still, I still don't like pizza pizza because <laughs> you used to bring it home every night. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad that's the biggest lesson that you took from all of the pizza, pizza. No, no. <laughs> question for you, and and this is just a this is an aside question for you. Um, this is a question, and I just I have this conversation with my wife all the time. Sometimes when we, you know, we as parents, and you have how many kids do you have now, Mike? You, you know what? I don't have kids. I'm married. I have a little dog named Lucy. Oh. So, uh, but I've been married for, you know what, uh, 19 years. So it's, uh, it's been a while. I'm so sorry. I, I thought when you when you were out this way and you were going on a, on a cruise Alaska, I thought you were taking the family. I'm, I'm totally sorry. I did not, not realize that. Um, uh, are there kids in the future for you, my friend? You know what? At this point, I think uh, this is it. This yep. is uh, where we are. Nice. So, um, yeah. but you know what? My wife is my best friend, yep. and I feel like uh, I feel like I I'm very privileged to have the situation I am. Yep, I, I I'm in. And and your your chosen profession at this moment is a, a computer engineer, correct? You know what? I became a full time investor yep. as of uh, as of January. So um, I do still a little bit of that, but mainly I would say if you look at my. Yep. What I spend 40, 50 hours a week is, is investing right now. No, I, I agree. And that's probably done very well for you. So, okay. So you've invested into some properties that you said weren't good investment properties, but at least you got, got you started, which was a fantastic opportunity. Um, now, here's the big thing that I really wanted to talk to you about. Like we were just, one of our last sessions, you were going and you were showing me through a lot of some of the opportunities that you're buying and you're buying out in Ontario. And I made the comment to, I go, geez, Mike, it's, it almost feels like you're the, you're one of the only ones still buying in Ontario. All the Ontario investors are either going to Florida or Alberta or they're going somewhere else. I think, uh, I think there are some opportunities in Ontario, and that's really what I really wanted to talk to you about here today. So um, why don't we do this? Um, I'm going to take a step back, and then we're going to talk about current Ontario opportunities that you're looking at. 
So you started buying um, some single families, some multiplexes and, you know, quasi fourplexes, and you still own a lot of those. And then you made the pivot into uh, apartment buildings. When did mm-hmm. you make that pivot and how did you make that pivot going from a single family, you know, duplex, triplex, fourplex into a multifamily property? You know what? Um, I, I made a mistake of uh, paying off my mortgage. So so I, I should have invested uh, earlier, but I paid off my mortgage and then I took out all the funds. After going to a real estate conference, you know, I realized just how much equity is, is, is sitting in my personal home. But um, I always felt everybody talked about investing with other people, but really um, I was fortunate to have a lot of those funds in, in, in there. So I started buying like uh, seven unit buildings and then, and then uh, eight and then these kind of properties uh, with my own money in, in London, Kitchener, and then in Hamilton. Um, I, I wanted to really, the, the idea then was, hey, let's, let's get an amazing retirement and then financial freedom as soon as possible. So, uh, so two two questions. Um, number one is, if you don't mind me asking, how many doors are you currently sitting on right now, and um, what is kind of your target market, target property that you look at right now? So, right now, I think we have around seventy five ish um, doors, but really, um, I look at more focus around um, what's the quality of the doors, right? Um, so, and definitely that's been scaling up uh, quickly. We've been selling some assets too. Um, uh, but now primarily focusing on uh, multifamily. So th- we have some that are mixed uh, use, but uh, the 20 to right now targeting anywhere from 16 to let's say 30 unit uh, buildings right. here in Kitchener, Hamilton and London. Kitchener, Hamilton, London. Okay, so... So now I'm going to go back to the central question that I, I've wanted to find out is, you know, why why are you the last investor standing still investing? In, and I'm being facetious and joking. Obviously, there are other people between it's like between you and Quentin, you guys are buying up all the properties in the area or something. Right. So so why are you still um, very active and investing in and buying up in uh, in, in the Ontario marketplace? You know what? Uh, part of it is discipline. Uh, I'm not saying people that invest in other places are not disciplined, but I like to kind of stay course for uh, for a while. So even even when things get tough, and then certainly finding uh, buildings in Ontario is not uh, it's not easy. However, I, I absolutely love the economy in Ontario, how diverse it is, and then I understand it. Um, where I think a lot of people maybe not everybody, but they they underestimate how different it is to invest in different pro- provinces from their own. I know you can we could buy properties anywhere, right? But even Alberta versus Ontario, very different economies and then different tenant laws. And, uh, and I find that for me, actually, Ontario is what I know. I love the economy because it's, uh, it's so diverse. Um, you know, maybe, Maybe that's still true, but half of the immigrants that come to Canada, half of them land in Ontario, um, and we're at about 420,000 new immigrants a year, right? So there's a big, big influx and demand and and then a lot of, um, I would say, corporate offices. So Microsoft, 
Google, right? Like so many companies, they settle in in Ontario. So I love that. Yeah. Because these kind of tenants, they they tend to pay significantly. Um, and I find that, you know what, getting frustrated quickly and then moving and then investing somewhere else just because it's hard, that's not the answer. Right. I think there's a lot of opportunities here. It's just you have to learn and stay the course. It takes time, right? Which is... Great for me because I've been around here for a while, but it's a competitive advantage to understand the tenant laws and then being able to work around them, right? Competitive advantage to have the relationships to get the buildings I want to, uh, I want to get because now we're down to like a cookie cutter model in terms of what we're buying yep. and, and having those relationships. Now, if I went tomorrow to New Brunswick, I, I, I don't have these relationships and I don't truly understand the market there like I do here. Right. You now, you could do it, but you're not willing to, you know, you've invested 15 years into your backyard and you know it like the back of your hand and you're just in there going, guys, please, every, all other investors, please leave. Go go away. And now we can finally, uh, we have a, a captive audience of all the properties that you can take a look at. Another reason is um, I can drive to the property and I can look at it. I do spot checks on my construction crews and and property managers too, so they know they know I'm close, right? <laughs> and then that helps as well. And then um, and then you know what? I used to actually travel globally as a as an IT executive, and then I'm done with uh, flying to where where I need to work. So so uh, that's another reason for being uh, local. So the markets that you pick are primarily, um, like, what are the big drivers in there? Is it primarily, like, I know the immigration is, you know, everybody probably would agree that immigration into Canada is very strong. By and large, most people land in southwestern Ontario. Southwestern Ontario, Montreal, and Vancouver are the big things. Um, Interesting to note is Alberta has a huge um, migration of immigrants as well. But by and large, Mm -hmm. the majority is Ontario. We'll jump right back to this wonderful interview with Mike Beer. But before we do, our friends from Streetwise Mortgages are here to help you with some financing. Help you with financing if you're in a corporate entity and a corporate structure. This is a wonderful tip from Dahlia Barsoom. Take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. Well, putting a rental in a corporation impact your financing. And will that mortgage show up on your credit report? Firstly, to make the most informed decision about whether or not to incorporate and when to incorporate, please speak with your trusted accountant as the rules are not black or white. From a financing standpoint, the implications of putting a rental in a corporation differ depending on whether we're talking about residential versus commercial properties. For residential properties that are one to four units, Here are the implications and what you need to be aware of. Number one, many lenders who offer residential mortgage approvals in a corporation will not offer a secured line of credit on the property. This means that if the time comes for you to take out equity from that property, your only option would be to take it out through a mortgage, through a complete refinance, where with a line of credit, the nice thing about it is that you don't pay anything until you use the money. Versus with a mortgage, you pay principal and interest payment from day one. 
Secondly, lenders consider a corporation a higher risk borrower, and therefore they may add what's called a risk premium. That translates into a higher interest rate for you. Thirdly, putting a residential rental in a corporation with an A lender does not guarantee it will not show up on your credit report. With B lenders, however, it is very, very unlikely for it to show up on your credit report if it is in a corporation. Lastly, putting the residential property in a corporation does not mean that the lender will look at the approval as a business and will not qualify you personally for the deal or will not ask for your personal guarantees. Generally, properties that are one to four units get approved under a residential mortgage regardless of whether or not um, they are held in a corporation. This means that the approval will rely primarily on your personal income and, and, and on your personal debts. Unless you have a large residential portfolio in a corporation and you have maxed out with the residential lenders, the lenders can look at the deal under the commercial guidelines. And in that case, they would look at the portfolio as if it's a business based on its net operating income. For commercial properties or properties that are five units or more, putting a rental in a corporation actually works to your advantage. Because in the commercial world, working with corporations is the norm. Something you need to be aware of in, in commercial financing that a corporation serves you well for is something called the General Security Agreement, the GSA, which is the equivalent of a personal guarantee in the residential world. By having your commercial asset in a corporation, you shield all assets that are not part of that corporation from the General Security Agreement. This is something, however, you should talk to your lawyer about. Also, with a commercial mortgage in a corporation, do you think it will show up on your credit report? The answer is no, most of the time, unless the lender registers something called a PPSA, which is a Personal Property Security, Security Act. With some lenders, you do have the option to ask them not to register a PPSA. And in that case, that mortgage is unlikely to show up on your credit report. To discuss the right financing strategy for your portfolio and the implications on financing using a corporation given your own personal plans, feel free to reach out to my team at Streetwise Mortgages for a complimentary planning session at info at streetwisemortgages.com or streetwisemortgages.com. So it's people coming in. What are the econ big economic drivers in the areas that you're you're investing in? I always look at, and then I have some analysis done. I always look at uh, what are key growth markets, right? So Toronto is an extremely old, it's an old and tough market to get into. Um, so I focus more on what are the secondary cities, right? Um, secondary markets that let's say a IT executive or an accountant or, or, or someone that's coming up would want to live. And Kitchener, for example, is amazing market because the university where I went to drives a lot of, a lot of talent comes in and then the tech companies open up offices around there. There's a Google office, the RIM, RIM. I, I know the RIM is not, Blackberry is not as big anymore, but companies like that 
they they definitely drive talent to come in and then and then these these markets are flourishing they have uh, they have a lot significant growth and yes i understand that rent is cheaper somewhere else but if someone's going to like these kind of companies they pay significant wages so for someone if they have to pay extra 2 300 dollars for rent and they're making 100,000 they're making 85,000 it's um it's definitely affordable for them if you will yeah now one of the things that so in the, in the realm of some vernacular some of my people in my show might understand is you know, the three pillars of real estate, what you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. You have a very targeted um, demographic of who you rent to, and you have tech pro- tech professionals in university towns, and you know they make good money and they're a good tenant profile. So you have your tenant profile pretty dialed in, and then you match the right property in the right area to them as well. So that's very, very smart, very brilliant, is starting with a good tenant profile of who you want to rent to. And then you, and then you find buildings. I'm going to not still all your thunder, but then you find buildings that you would consider would be under rented. Would that be kind of your strategy? Absolutely. So, so we look for buildings in average areas that are coming up, not distressed areas. And then this is specifically, and I'll tell you why in a second. And then the aim is to turn those buildings into amazing apartment building communities that, that people love to, to live in. Um, key reason that we don't buy in distressed areas because we don't want that exposure for our investors. So I have investors now and the primary goal is really preservation of capital. So don't lose money. Right. And second <laughs> rule number grow. one, rule, rule number one, don't rule lose money, two, grow their money. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you got to follow them in order. Yep. So by not buying distressed properties, it's uh, it's more predictable how we can turn these uh, turn these buildings uh, over. Very good. Smart. And there's so much more to it, right? No. I mean, remarketing of those buildings and such. It's not just coming in and then doing the uh, doing the renovation, but it all has to kind of connect the investor with the investment, with the tenant, with the with the projections. Yep. You're one of the you're one of the best I know as an operator to be able to the detail that you put and you're like Mister you're like the spreadsheet king and the checklist king and you you you're you're a fantastic operator and uh, okay so do you mind if we if we dive into you know some people are sitting there going okay Russ you've talked and Mike you guys have talked about there's opportunities in 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 the GTA area um, do you mind if we talk about your your latest um, property that you're 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 acquiring right now, your apartment building in Kitchener? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's talk, let's talk about. Okay. It. Well, why don't we just start at the beginning? Uh, where where did you find or how did you find it? Was it through a realtor relationship? Like, how does somebody attract uh, a property? So if, maybe ask a better question, Russ. What is the property? In if you don't mind asking the area, and then we'll talk about how you acquire uh, how you found it. So, so the property. This one is on this. Uh, this one is a 16-unit uh, building um, in just north of downtown Kitchener. Um, the reason I love this building is because it's amazing on the outside. So it has has brick. Uh, the the floors in the common areas. I know. I know. For me, I get excited when I see polished concrete because this stuff lasts forever. And then, so, so essentially it's a great building, solid. And then the units, they're, you know, they're like 1970s finishes with, uh, with cabinets, right? So 
the job is to fix the internal, fix the units, but really the bones and everything else around the property is amazing. Um, now getting to the location, it's 1.1 kilometer walking distance from the Google office, right? And then one kilometer away walking distance from the GO station. So now you can see people can walk to the office. They can go to Toronto once a, once a week downtown. And they can walk to downtown Kitchener, which has, I mean, everything you you would want in a city. Yeah. And is your primary target in that, what I call that the sweet spot is, you know, what I would call small, don't get me wrong when I say small, like smaller multifamily. Like um, what is your kind of your target sweet spot for units? You know what? I like, I like the 20 to 30. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because it's, little too far of a reach for a mom and pop investor. Yep. And I find that when you look at six plexes and eight plexes, they sound like a great place to start and they are, but there are many people that get into it and then they may overpay. So it's a, it's a different, different level of competition yep. um, in, in that space. Yeah. And then you're also not I'm competing sorry. with the, the REITs of the world and the, the, the large institutional players not playing with them. They, they would probably consider that 20 to 30 too small when they, most of them. Absolutely. So they wouldn't look at buying these kind of units because they have, you know, $40 million to invest and they want to do it in one shot. They have a huge overhead and a, and a, and a gigantic team, right? Yep. Which takes them a lot to, to buy a single uh, property where we're very lean. And the idea is for the, for, to build some kind of an efficiency, efficiency and scale. Um, but at the same time for the investor to be a little bit closer to the action, yep. right. By, Perfect. by investing. With us. Perfect. So, so let's 16 is, Rounded up to twenty, so you're right in your sweet spot of look you're, you're looking for in in that area, and you've found a really good neighborhood that you like that fits with the tenant profile. Um, what is what is kind of like on your your criteria of what you look for an in investment, and then I will get back to where did you find it? Was it just a realtor that brought it to you? Was it one that was sitting on the market? Is it an, a private deal? Like where, you know, what's kind of a criteria, and then how did you find it? So criteria is actually extremely specific for, for, for us. So we look for buildings that are built in the mid uh, 1960s to, to the mid 1980s that have, uh, that are not, uh, wood frame, uh, buildings. So there's a lot of them, uh, in Ontario. They have to be purpose built. They could be mixed use, meaning that they have a, um, they have a couple storefronts at the bottom. Uh, if they're in a great area, that works well. Uh, but they're purpose built, right? They're not converted, and then they're hundred percent, hundred percent legal, which I learned not to do from that triplex. Remember? <laughs> yep. So, so, um, so ahead, keep going. Sorry. So, so that's the criteria. It has to be in an area that's uh, that's coming up. It's it's got to fit our tenant type, uh, and then there's room to elevate the rents um, significantly. Um, so that we can get that. Um, so the area, right? Average that aligns to that goal of preservation of capital and then the lifting of rents and then remarketing that aligns to the goal of growing investor capital. Right. Right. Because buildings are valued on, on uh, the net operating income. So essentially the profit yep. of the building. So, so we're trying to drive that, uh, 
NOI as high as possible and as quickly as possible. And and then that goes back to your <clears throat> earlier comment about being an expert in an area because now you can quickly identify if something's under rented or not. And I can be much more competitive here than in Alberta or New Brunswick just because I know know yep. it, right? Right. Okay. And then competitive with purchase, competitive with uh with the rents. Yep. Right? It all kind of comes back together. Okay, so this property that you're buying in Kitchener, the 16 units, um, don't mind me asking, what what are you paying per door? What's kind of the sweet mix, uh, what kind of cap rates? And then we'll, when we'll talk about what the opportunity is. So so this one uh, has one, um, mostly it's uh, two and three bedroom units. Uh, I would say majority of them are two bedroom and there's one one bedroom in there. Um, we're paying uh, roughly 200,000, uh, per door. Although when investors are looking and then talking about per door, just be conscious that you're not buying 23 bachelor units, right? Which would be per door very different from three bedroom and two bedroom units. But really, um, the cap rate, the coming in cap rate in Ontario is going to be pretty low. So, so somewhere around threes, but really the idea is to lift it. Uh, to six and a half, uh, seven, uh, around there. Right. Okay. So you're you're buying it today, at say the the th- was it three hundred? You said three hundred a door, at a two hundred. Two sorry, two hundred. You're you're going to take it to three hundred, right? <laughs> so you're buying a two hundred a door, and what kind of rent levels are you getting for that right now? So right now the rents should, uh, are around a thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, in those in those units, and, and those are sounds like a what's lot. The for sweet, what's the sweet? What's the sweet mix? The sweet mix: uh, one one bedroom. I believe there are two three bedroom, and then the rest are two bedrooms. Okay, good good sweet mix. <clears throat> and if your average rent is like a thousand, like what is? And and then you'd also mention it's you know it's original stuff, seventies and eighties type of original. So, are there any uh, renovated units in there that you are aware of? There's one. There's one uh, vacant and renovated unit. It's uh, it's a little bit unfortunate because the owner renovated it and it's got you know carpets and and, and such. And I thought, <laughs> why would you put carpets? Who wants? Who has carpets? Yeah. <laughs> right. Not many. Not many people dream about having an, a, a carpet. Yeah. Right? So, but anyway, it's, it's still going to do well. And it's only one. Thankfully, it's only one unit that he uh, that he renovated. Right. Okay. So. If you now, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but so one bedroom rents are about what, give or take? You know what? In that area, we're hoping for about seventeen hundred or so for a one bedroom, Um, and then for one bedroom, right? Yeah. And what are they currently? What's the what's the current one bedroom rented for in the property? You know what? It's uh, it's probably around eight hundred dollars or so. It's somewhere around there. So you legitimately could double it. Right. And then that's the idea with the two bedrooms too. We're, we're doubling, we're doubling the rent. So what did, do, right? okay. around a thousand, around a thousand yeah. and it's going to be double. It's going to be around 2000. And a three bedroom unit? Uh, three bedroom unit could go maybe to 2200 or so. Huh. But um, you know what, in that particular area, in terms of my other buildings, I don't have any two, three bedroom units. 
So that's a little bit of an estimate, but it's plus minus $50. Right. Yeah. Month. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, you know, I think the simple answer is you're buying it today at a three mid, mid to low three cap rate, and you're looking to double the rents over a course of what kind of timeline are you looking at? So roughly three years. Um, and I know that's a lengthier time, but the idea is that we don't want to also you got to think about the neighborhood right we're coming in we're trying to make amazing apartment building communities from average ones so don't want to cause in a in a major disruption and then want to do this uh in a manner that is uh i think conscious of, of the community so then you have natural attrition we have other buildings in, in, in just outside of the city that we can relocate tenants to with uh, slightly nicer uh, finishes. So there's a, there's a variety of ways, but essentially the plan is three years and then to hold the building for another couple of years. Because, uh, I mean, once it's gaining, once it's, you know, making top rent and the mortgage is being paid down, I mean, this is a wonderful asset to, to hold. Yeah. Yeah, so you're you're picking up this asset for roughly around three point two million. Um, what kind of, based upon your your current numbers, what kind of financing are you getting on it? What kind of down payment is required? Like, what how how does it how do you close on that place? Like, how much capital does somebody need, and where what kind of financing are you getting? So you need roughly a million to to, to close on it with with all the costs and and, and such. Um, but then, but then think about your slush fund. And then also in Ontario, uh, buildings like this would never, ever even close to cash flow at the beginning. So you gotta hold, you gotta hold them at uh, negative cash flow for a little while. However, if you're patient and then you plan for it and then have enough money, uh, up front, then definitely that you turn that trajectory. And then, and then get them to cash flow neutral and then, and higher. However, cash flow is not really the game. I, I'm saying it from the risk perspective. Got to protect yourself and then have sufficient, uh, uh, sufficient funds to cover negative cash flow, especially in, in where we are right now with, uh, with higher interest rates. Um, but that's kind of a short term, having a short term loan and then refinancing around the year three. Right. So you to, come in, uh, you come lower, in, or do you take private financing or do you take uh institute? Like how are you getting, you get obviously a mortgage plus other investment capital that's coming in through your own resources, through your investor resources, things like that. I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to paint the picture and how somebody closes on this. And then we're going to talk about the repositioning strategy. So then uh, I use uh tier three renter uh, lenders, if you will. So these are, you know, uh, tier one would be the, the the big banks, and tier two would be like some of the credit unions, and then tier three would be the folks that are willing to look at your business plan and track record. So these would be you know like funds and and and, and such. So they look at your track record, look at the business deal, see if it makes sense, and then they lend to you, right? Because the that service coverage ratio would never work when buying an asset in Ontario. Yep. So understanding how you can get to a point where you can refinance with uh, at least a tier two lender in, in two to three years is, is really important as part of the plan. Yep. So having kind of that clear exit uh, exit strategy from that higher cost mortgage. Got it. 
Um, so this is a tier three lender. Typically, they do interest only type of loan uh, to help with uh, with some of the cash flow. They'll also finance a, a portion of the uh, of the renovation costs on an as needed basis. Meaning that as you complete, they fund. Got right? it. Got it. Okay. So you're putting up roughly ballpark a million dollars to buy three point two million. There's some financing that's being put in place. What kind of a renovate? No, in that million capital, what kind of, um, here's, the, I guess, the, the better the better question is, what kind of a renovation package are you putting in per door that's on your best estimate? So you need a little bit more than, an, I'm saying there's money to close and then there's money to do renovations yeah. and then also some of the holding costs. So you, see, so you end up closer to $1.5 million when it's uh, when it's all over. Um, but depending on the building, but for this particular one, uh, I would say 50,000 per door. Uh, I know that's on the higher side, but that's the, that's what we do to, uh, to attract the tenant we want and then get the, uh, get the, get the rents we want. You could renovate it for twenty twenty five thousand right, easily, right? But, but you're it's a looking bit of a different market, different asset. Yeah, you're looking to double your rent. You're not looking to just have a little marginal, and you know, you're you're looking to have a like you. The term you used was a a high end rental community. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're looking to put in about fifty grand per door into each property, two hundred to so you're into it for like two fifty. But now your goal is to essentially double your rents over three years. Is that the is that the correct strategy? Absolutely, that's that, that's the strategy. Okay, now, okay, so let, let's talk about the process of of. Do you kind of have like a do you, do you do cash for keys? Like, how do you incentivize tenants to move, or do you just wait for natural attrition, or how how do you how do you kind of go about? Which units to renovate? Which units to to change around? Like, how? What's kind of your process for that? So, so unfortunately, in Ontario, there is no one way of of, of doing this because uh, the tenant laws and because of the tenant profiles, uh, you almost have to approach it on a group by group basis. But, but really, the wonderful thing about apartment buildings, there is partially natural attrition as you as you mentioned so people move because of a job they have kids they get divorced they get married whatever that final family situation happens to be um, so that's part of it um, another part of it we can help people find a slightly better place because some of these apartments they're not great looking because the owners have not been keeping up you know they might have uh, I don't know if there was a leak in the ceiling the owner might patch it up with some tape and and then just leave it like that. So so we can offer people nicer um slightly nicer looking units just outside of the city. Well, so that's or, another or way. Do and, you, then, and then cash Yeah. Do you ever have and any then ca- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. <laughs> and then cash for keys is, yeah. is is obviously an option. Um however, it's not the only option yeah. because I think that um sometimes Property managers and investors in Ontario, they take that easier way. That's an easier way out, I would say, but it's it's very costly. Yeah. So people here pay ridiculous amounts of money for yeah. for, for apartments. Yeah, it's a little it's 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 quicker in many respects, but at the same time it's you know, at what cost, really what it comes down to. Now, do any of your tenants ever 
ever want to move within the same building, maybe to a nicer unit? Or does that doubling of the rent kind of be a prohibitor for them? So that usually doesn't happen because in Ontario, if you offer them a different unit while you're renovating, they'll have to rent at exactly same uh, rent that they had. So so that model doesn't necessarily work. Oh, Mike. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to be ignorant about Ontario, but some days I just shake my head about the Ontario laws. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I know but there's a but. Look, look at it this way. Um, I mean, there is no point. What's What's amazing about Ontario, and this happens in other provinces, right? If the market dips, rents go down, and then tenants move out, and you, you have... a uh, you have, let's say, 30% vacancy. That never happens here. No. Never happens here. I mean, the vacancy in Kitchener is uh, less than 2%. Yeah. So, and, and by and large... So you're, uh, <clears throat> go ahead, please. So the odds of, of you having, you know, 20% vacancy that's unintentional is, is, is not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so all these factors kind of come into play. Yes, it's difficult to, more difficult to turn over tenants, but if you set a rent of 2000 it's very rare that you have to actually drop that rent in 6 months or, or or 7 months so so really people get reassured by yes you do a lot of that work up front but then that asset is is basically performing yeah right? well and and i 100% will also echo something that you said but didn't say is the rents in Ontario are by and large significantly higher than a lot of markets across the country. Like, for example, you know, you're getting two grand for a two bedroom, like a nice, a really nice renovated two bedroom apartment unit. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not, uh, it's not chopped liver. It's really nice. Man, I just rented a three bedroom, two and a half bath, brand new house just outside of Edmonton. And I think we got 2200 for it. For, oh, wow. a, for a house, like the whole house. All right. <laughs> so. So uh, the rents in Alberta have a long way to catch up. But that's also one of the reasons why I like it is because I think that there's room for it to grow. But in Ontario, you've already got that built in. You don't get you don't get drops in rent. You also don't get large increases on a you know a year to year basis. But you also don't get an like the opportunity you just talked about is you have an opportunity of taking a, a building and doubling it's NOI in, in effect in a period of three years. And essentially there's a lot of, I, w- I would say risk reduction in the fact that we're doing two, three units at the same time. Right. Right. We're not doing the entire building and and, and causing a mass, taking a massive risk, right? We'll rent one unit and test out the strategy, which worked a few blocks over or, or a couple neighborhoods over in that same city and then it works, and then you just start replicating, replicating over. So it's uh, I, I, that's that's another reason I really love multifamily, like existing multifamily. You're not taking these crazy risks where you're buying a piece of land and then putting up a building and hoping that uh, you know people will buy it and it will all work. Got it. Got it. Okay. So so I'm clear on the process. You've bought the property, you've put in some money down, you have a tier. C tier three lender to kind of do some interest only, almost like private finance. It probably just above a private loan in mm-hmm. essence, right? Okay, then now you you're kind of waiting on tenants to move out naturally. You're you're then when somebody moves out, you go in with your fifty thousand dollar renovation package, and then you re rent it for double the money. So 
We're, we're clear to that part of the process. So let's yeah. say three years from now, after you're all said and done, and now it could be two and a half years, or it could be three and a half years. You don't know, right? It's the, the, the tenant moving on is kind of the, the, the one, if they move quicker, you can do it quicker. If they move slower, it takes a little longer, right? right. Okay. So in three years, you're now going to go back and refinance with new financials. Um, what does that process look like at that refinance stage? Are you able to get all your money back? Plus, are you able to then have it as a cash flow asset? Like, what is the the end goal in three years? So, so the end goal in, in three years is really put it into conventional mortgage and for it to start uh, cash flowing. Uh, yes, we pull out some money, but uh, but remember, we borrowed also funds for for the renovations. So, so that building, um, I mean, in terms of the loan to value, it's, uh, it's, it's up there. So we're looking to have a stable cash flowing asset that's paying down the mortgage. And then, um, also we get the benefit of low, uh, operating costs. Cause remember, we got new faucets, new fridges, uh, all this stuff that typically, typically breaks. It's, it's all brand new. Um, but yeah, so. Goal is to pull out as much money as possible, return uh, as much funds to the investor while they still own a great piece of property, uh, and then the, the cash flow starts. Yeah. Now, is your is based upon preliminary projections of the things that you've talked about? Is it possible to get out all investment capital within that three year time frame? That would be slightly tough because yeah. of the debt service coverage, Go but. Pulling it out out of it, um, it's um, yeah, it's it's going to be a long shot. I think pulling yep. out all of it, but at least some. Yeah, a good portion. Like, um, and it, I know you can't tell exactly how much, but let's put it this way: you're going to do everything because you're putting your own money into this too, are you not? Oh, absolutely, yeah, significantly yes. of your own capital. But your goal is to try to get back as much as possible in that refinance time in three years. Because we want really, uh, I mean, you want to incentivize investors to, yep. to continue investing, right? And then the sooner they get the, a lot of their money back, the better. Yep, right? I understood. So then in three years, that investor <clears throat> gets a check back. They still might have a little bit in. And then your goal is to just operate it, manage it for another, did you say another five years after that? Or how long? No, after? Another two years another to the five-year mark. Okay. And, and then, and then what like do you do then? I like to hold on to stuff for a long time, Yeah. right? But I find that people like a, a shorter time period than I do, right? Like I would hold this thing for 10 years if I could, but people like, they like three years, they like five years, right? So that's, that's the reason it's kind of built around this five-year mark. Yeah, okay. So buy it, reposition it over three years, manage it, hold it for two, you're at a five-year Time frame. Then, what what's the plan at that time? Do you do you then condominiumize it and sell it as individual units, or do you just potentially refinance it again? Do you bring a new investment pool in to buy, or do you sell? Like, what, what's what's the goal in five years? So, in this particular uh, property, the goal is to actually sell it in year five, and then uh, and then cash out. So then the investors either move on to a different project. Uh, or they buy Ferraris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so in essence, you're you're almost you're dating the capital. You're not marrying the capital. Is a term I heard a while ago that I, I liked and resonated with. You're you know you're dating for five years as opposed to marrying forever. <laughs> 
Absolutely, because things change, investors' time frame change, and then, yep. and then the key is really if they get their capital back, it's not like they're letting go of something. They can reinvest again in another property, but look where we're increasing the net operating income the most, right? Yep. During the first first really three years, those are the hard harder years to, to, to execute the plan. So if we would hold uh, the property for a little bit longer and just coast it, we would drop that return rate slightly. Right. So that's the reason also for uh, for getting rid of it at year five. Hmm. Or or maybe at that <clears throat> time, what you do is you bundle three or four of these things up together and then you approach a REIT and just say, here's a package for you guys. <laughs> that's very possible. Why not? <laughs> well, why not? Hey, let's 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 have let's let's bo- let's bookmark this conversation five years from now and we'll figure out the, the exit from there. So um, if if all goes according to plan, what kind of what kind of returns are are you able to get from these kind of a project, Mike? So we're looking at around for investors somewhere around sixteen percent uh, annualized uh, return, um, and they could be higher. Let's say if we took more risk, we could get probably higher returns. If we went more into the, the tougher areas of uh, of Kitchener into distressed properties that that have variance, but but I find that you know rule number one: don't lose money and then preserve capital. And then that's the reason we're uh, we're at let's say sixteen percent, which is I believe it's a healthy return. Yeah. And and just as an FYI, everybody, you know, the disclaimer here with all the the really fast talking small print say results may vary. You know, do your own diligence, seek your own professional advice. All this, this is not an offering. This is just talking about pro formas and past results don't equal future prediction, future results, stuff like that, right? So so. And this is for educational purposes only. One hundred percent. My my lawyer just had to breathe the sigh of relief here for us, Mike. <laughs> no, uh, um. No, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here is um, you're one of the most methodical investors I know. And you just have, you have a process and you have a system. And when most people, like I said, most people are are shying away from Ontario. Here's Mike still standing there. As a matter of fact, you're seeing more opportunities come come your way, are they not? You know what? Uh, as I think people notice when you when you're buying assets and then when you're turning them over and then when you're executing the plan and then that's not just just uh, let's say realtors and and, and private uh, private owners that own apartment building but also lenders look at that look at track record I, I I underestimate how important that is and with track record with time I know everybody wants to buy a thousand units in a year and then there are such podcasts. But this is not one of them. This is more the the slower and uh, more steady kind of uh, road. Yeah. But uh, but I definitely see more and more opportunities, especially especially now. I, I must say, last year I was pretty frustrated with the, with the lack of opportunity, good opportunities, because every every seller, you know, thought they were uh, sitting on a gold mine, right? Um, and and expecting the world for their uh, for their building. But this year, I think we have. A at least a twelve month window when where things got shaken up by uh, by the interest rates and then by the changing conditions uh, in the market, uh, and I also like the fact that the media is screaming about recession, music to my ears, right? Because that's when good opportunities uh, come about. Like one of the best investments I made was buying a building on March twenty twenty. 
you know, during like at the beginning when the lockdowns just started and, and every lender was saying, we're not, we're not lending. Sorry. No, like, <laughs> I, I 100% agree. And I asked the question that to a group of people is knowing what you know now, how many of you would have bought a property in say March, April, 2020 during the height of fear and you could have picked up a property for significantly cheaper, you know, hindsight's always 2020 always, but sometimes during change and fear is when you can actually get a really good opportunity, right? Right. And exactly. And, and I think, I think us investors not listening to every noise that the media makes and then not hundred percent buying into the hype and then looking at the fundamentals, right? Like on one hand, you hear recession, recession, recession. But on the other hand, the unemployment is extremely low in Ontario and employers are screaming because they can't find people for work, yep. right? Which is seems a little bit opposite of recession. And then you have this really, really low vacancy rate in, 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 in cities. Uh, so there's a tremendous amount of uh, demand for, uh, for rental housing. Yep. So these things are just got to kind of connect the dots a little bit and then really see where, where the market is. And then, we're not flipping over a weekend and filming a TV show here, right? We're, we're doing a project over five years. Yeah. Like how confident are you within, within the five years? We don't even have to drag this for five years. We could stop this and sell the building in three years, right? So there's a lot of kind of flexibility and yeah. things were happening. Well, but look and, at the market five years ago, yeah. right? And then, and then at the same time as, you know, if things go topsy-turvy and, you know, recession kicks in and people lose jobs, you know, what do people do when they lose jobs? They go back to school, right? And they retool and go back to school. And does anybody know a, a good area for university towns? Maybe. Hey, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually a, a perfect pivot for the conversation to have here is, let's, you know, something near and dear to both our hearts, and that's the mindset, right? The mindset to be able to take take the chance, take the risk, risk mitigate, but get into a, a, an investable opportunity. And I know we could talk tactics till the cows came home. And I know a lot of people think that tactics are more important than mindset. Uh, you have a different take on that, would you not? What do you feel? Do you think tactics are more important than mindset or would mindset more important than tactics? You know, for me, it was, uh, I would say 80% mindset and then 20% tactics. Like when I bought that triplex, it was more of how do I get through this? And it was more stressful than anything. Um, but it wasn't the tactics. I mean, choose the wrong tactics and, and then lose a few thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there. But the mindset is really what that kind of pushed me along or buying that building I just t told you about in, in March 2020. Like that's not, that's not easy at the beginning of COVID when we didn't even know what it is right? In, in, in March. So I would say, and then also staying in Ontario, right? And then not looking, how do I build, uh, I don't know, storage units in, in, in Southern US? Like, how do I maximize my portfolio, lower my risk, right? And then just stay with it when you don't want to. Yep. Like I, I wanted multiple times to jump outside of the province and then outside of the country as well. But I would just say, hey, come back. Right. And then that's where I think one of the well key things like real estate, your real estate, um, uh, raising capital academy has been amazing. That community 
and then and then your coaching has been has been pretty amazing in, in terms of kind of keeping keeping me on the on the right path i had other i have other uh as well as help uh and 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 then such so all that together um helps to become be a high performer and then be the real estate investor you want yep right? that's what i find Not- most most high performers have a team around them. They don't ever just have just one person. They have an absolute team around them that are specialists in the best at what they do. And I'd, I'd consider you one of the high, a very, very high performer in the realm of real estate investing. Oh, thanks. Thanks, yeah. Russell. Yeah. And then, you know, wake up in the morning, I was feeling a little bit off and I put the audio book, uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average, right? Put that on for 10 minutes while riding to the gym and then get your mindset in place. Uh, you know, work out and then boom, you're ready for for the day. So, yep. so those little things. Right? Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. Do you have any specific things that you do that, you know, and I think the operative word is that you have to do it. It's not think about it or whatever. You actually have to do it. So what are some of the things you do to help you get yourself in the right mindset to be a high performing real estate investor? Um, so, so many, I, I would say. Um, first thing is, uh, working out every morning on, on, on weekdays. That's extremely important. I, I do meditate also, um, just to, to get more grounded and stable. Uh, I have, um, you Russell, right? We meet on a periodic basis and we talk through kind of strategies and, and, and such. Uh, I have, uh, I have another mentor as well. And for me, it's even little things. When I say to, when I say, you know what, to you, for example, oh, I want to buy this many units and a friend, let's say high school friend would say, oh my God, are you crazy? Why would you do it? And then a guy like you doesn't even blink. And, and that just kind of meeting and understanding that body language, it's like, oh, okay. So this isn't a crazy idea. Right. So those those key things and then listening to podcasts and then some of these audio books continuously, continuously feeding, uh, feeding the mind because it just it strays off sometimes. Right. Yep. Yep. I 100 percent echo everything you said. It's it's not it's not. Here's the thing. When it comes to mindset, everybody's sitting there and go, give me the secret. Give me the one thing. It's not one thing. It's everything. It's it's the body of work. It's the little things. It's the doing five things a day that you've said you're going to do that'll move the needle forward. It's reading the right books, hanging out with the right people, going to the right conferences, having the right team. It's just doing it all together, right? It's it's the body of work. It's not just any one thing. Now, before we, I'm going to ask you one final question here before we do before we sign off here. And I envision that this could be another conversation. Uh, guys, if you're listening to this, by all means, you know, we've been dropping, you know, lots of fire here today. Mike's just bringing the heat always. And, and I've been remiss here, Mike. You've been drinking, bringing some bombs here too, brother. So, <laughs> Love the facts. Yeah. So, so um, you're one of the best operators and you're one of the, the most detail-orientated people that I know when it comes down to um, putting a project together and managing a project. And there's lots of people that can talk a big game and there's lots of people that can flash and dash and, you know, they're really slick in what they do. You, you're just, uh, you're, you're, you're relentless 
on the execution side of things. That's some people, that's a, that's a skill set that not everybody has is the, the managerial, the project management and the execution. And you're one of the best I know. I just wanted to offer that to you. Oh, thanks, Russell. <laughs> You're too kind. Yeah, no, it's 100% true. I wish I had as good as... <laughs> that's one of the things that why I recognize it, because that's actually a weakness for me, is I'm not the greatest... I, I'm great ideas. I'm a starter. I get things I get things fired up, and I get things really cranked up. It's just taking it right through to the... the almost to the point of boring minutiae detail at the very end. That's 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 hard to do for me. But some people they just love that. Some people just sit there and go, you know, the more the monotonous, the better. Just bring it on. <laughs> so, and here's the final question for you, my friend. Um, if somebody was sitting here and they're maybe feeling a little bit stuck, you know, and they're just not sure what to do, they don't know, you know, what's the next step for them. Maybe, you know, it's maybe buying their first place. Maybe it's moving from single family to multifamily. What, what advice would you give if we were having coffee right now and somebody told you that they're feeling stuck and they just need a little help to move forward? What advice would you give them? You know what? Earlier, um, earlier in my investing, I made a mistake. I thought that um, I thought that searching for stuff on the internet for free would be would be the best idea, right? Um, and then I could kind of outsmart the system. And that was definitely not outsmarting the system. So for me, going to a conference, getting a coach, right? Looking at deals. I mean, you can even look at, uh, for example, the, the deal I'm doing here uh, as well. And then I can, I can add a link to the, uh, but analyzing it, just getting some kind of inspiration. And if I'm totally stuck, um, what I do is I just start reading or learning something about real estate or even business. Um, and then remembering that you don't have to always think 17 steps ahead. What's the one step I can take right now, even if it's as simple as like just reading a book or, or reading a chapter, doing something towards or making one phone call, even if you're going to get a voicemail, who cares? just leave it, say, hey, I'm looking for properties, right? Yep. Awesome. Now, so you would be willing to offer the presentation or the, the, the deal that you analyzed? I know you have it in a PowerPoint deck. Would you be willing to offer that as a download for anybody listening to this? Just, just to take a look at, to see what it looks like and what a sophistic, how a sophisticated investor analyzes a deal? Would you be willing to share that with people? Uh, absolutely. Go, uh, go to mike-opportunity.gr, the number eight, dot com. Um, is that on then, your is uh, that on your website or? Uh, it's not on my website. Okay, but uh, I can give you the link, and then also on my website you go up, and then you can click on case studies. Yeah. Um, so we have some case studies uh, around some of the buildings uh, which we have done, uh, and in videos uh, we have walkthroughs of, of the units. So that can uh, help you to learn. Um, basically how we do deals and then why can't you do the same, right? Yeah. Just as an FYI, Mike, you got a fantastic website, by the way. And uh, for, you know, for everybody who, who's kind of watching this, is where, where would be the best place? And I know if I've popped up many times is your website and stuff like that. Where would be the best place to reach, reach you and get a hold of you? Uh, so on my website, mikebeer.ca, just, uh, just reach out. Um, uh, and then, uh, or you can find me on Facebook uh, as well. Yep. Cool. 
Cool. And then, uh, and then, if you want to look at the existing deal, it was uh, mike-opportunity.grnumber8.com. Holy moly, we need to fix that a little bit. Why don't you just offer, send it to me, and I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll put it as a link in the show notes. But or we can just make it a, a real a real link. But it was almost sound like a government. <laughs> Mike.beer.gov.on.lt. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh well there you go i got some advice on the show as well <laughs> well the link go to like a bitly or, or, or make something it, shorter. make it simple make it simple right but <laughs> but i i I'm, I'm joking as one more time just share that share it in case somebody wants to how would somebody be able sure. to download we'll, that we'll do yeah and we'll put it in the show notes we'll put it in the the um the video description and all that and if somebody wants to download it by all means just click it on check it out yeah, and then I'm I'm always helpful. Yeah. Uh, so anybody wants to chat about a strategy for investing, uh, absolutely, you're gonna get uh, me no nonsense uh, yeah. kind of discussion. Um, uh, you know, just just. What you see is what you get, right? Nice. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, why don't we leave it there, Mike? Uh, thank you very much for your time. And I envision that we're going to get lots of feedback and lots of people wanting to hear more about this. And maybe we'll do another case today. Or maybe you and I will put a webinar on or something and help educate people on how to, you know, how to get involved in opportunities like this as an investor or get involved in an opportunity or get involved in your own opportunity and do it yourself in your own marketplace as well. So thank you very much, my friend. Thank you so much, Russell. You made this so easy. Well, I, I try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Have a great day, my friend. Okay. Take care. So what did you think of today's episode? Wasn't that a wonderful conversation? Uh, you know, some of, some of you that are maybe on my podcast, maybe you're ready to start taking that, that, that leap into the multifamily space. And Mike did just such a wonderful job of just kind of breaking it down, where he finds the opportunities, where he, how he finances them, where he gets the capital from, his, uh, his turnaround transition plan, what he looks for, all those kind of wonderful uh, details and resources. So if you're interested in um, maybe learning a little bit more about um, maybe an opportunity, uh, or more importantly, if you're interested in learning on how to do it yourself, uh, please just reach out. Let me know. Um, I will bring more resources in the multifamily space. Maybe I'll put on um, a you know a week long event or put on something where I'll I'll put together some of the some of the people I know, like the players, not just the people that just teach this stuff. I'm talking people that actually buy properties, right? Not just people that can get on stage and can teach it and and, and pontificate from a stage. Somebody who actually is in the trenches every single day. Those are the people that I, I I like love to connect with, and those are the people that I want to bring to you are the real life practitioners, not the theory people, the practitioners, the people that do it, and also not just practitioners. I would call people that are bordering on uh, their journey towards mastery of this. The real players, the people that are taking the action. Now, speaking of action, I mentioned this at the beginning. If you are an action taker and you're ready to take it up to the next level and you're interested in getting involved with a wonderful community of real estate action takers, people that are, are um, you know, grabbing the bull by the horn during this market condition, people that are just making things happen, 
If you're interested in becoming part of the Raising Capital Academy, I'm going to be opening it up again very shortly, if not already. And if you'd like to jump on board, there will be a link in the show notes below or even just hit me up on my website. You can definitely find a link uh, to the information about that flagship training program if you're interested in taking the next step on taking yourself towards mastery. Okay, gang, hope that helps. And remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.